0: Hello and welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, And today I'm very excited to be not only having a uh, three person episode, myself included, two awesome guests, but also it's about Orange County drums and percussion, which is kind of an elusive episode that's been hard to book. But I've had some help from uh, my friends here who are joining me today. We have Mr. Michael Kelly, who was a very early employee of the company, uh, worked there for a long time. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, Jared Fallon, who has been he and I have been talking for a long time on social media about making this episode happen. And he's been a good fan and supporter of the podcast. So, Jared, welcome on. Thank you. And Jared. So I I will say you yourself are a collector and restorer and really an OCDP fanatic, uh, which is awesome. So you're you're a good man to have on this show as well. And I think (laughs) thank you. The way we'll handle this again, because I think having both you guys on is awesome with some different perspectives. We'll talk to Michael a little bit more about the beginning of the company because he was there. And then we'll hop over with Jared about really what filling in some gaps and the collecting and what happened in the later years of the company. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff to, to happen. Um, I feel like we should say right off the bat that there's some some very unfortunate stuff happening right now with Jeremy um, Berman, who who worked Orange County uh, and has fallen on some hard times so this is odd timing that it worked out with this so close to that but uh we really really hope he pulls through and and is absolutely and is feeling better soon yeah that being said all right um michael let's hop over with you my friend and let's let's talk about the the origins of the company and we can kind of do it two ways we can talk about your introduction with the company with orange county and then also really the origins of it uh with daniel jensen and uh, all that good stuff so I'll, i'll let you take it away
1: Well, I moved to Southern California when I was 15 and, uh, soon after got my driver's license and immediately set out to get drum heads and found a a music shop called the music house in El Toro off El Toro road in Southern California and went in and they really dealt with like rentals, like high school band rentals and stuff like that. So the guy that worked there was trying to dig out heads and finally was like, you know what you bro, you need to go across the street to orange County drum. They're literally one exit up hmm. across the freeway. It was actually Taylor Hawkins. So he was working with, he was just a local shaggy haired Laguna beach drummer at wow. the time who hung out almost every day at orange County Drum So, uh, I went over there and just as soon as I walked in, it was just like, the first thing I saw was Daniel's massive purple kit with the 24 by 30 kick drum. It was 24 by 30. Yeah. 24 by 30. 14 by 14 tom, 16 by 16 floor tom, 18 by 18, and 14 by 14 snare, all purple and black, all heisty black vision symbols and just a collar lock rack. So it was just like, I was blown away and I knew like, this is where I'm going to be. So I just pretty much went there every day and just begged them for a job and just pretty much didn't take no for an answer. And eventually they sat me down and said, okay, you can work here, but we're going to pay you $5 an hour and we're going to pay you in drums because we can't pay you in cash. So I was like, hell okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Yeah, so yeah, sat down there every day and started out just like shining symbols and assembling kits because it was just retail. I mean, they did like a lot of restorations and rewraps and reedging. It did some custom work, but it definitely wasn't wasn't the main thing they did. I mean, it was retail.
0: So it was a shop, like it was. Oh yeah, it was a drum store.
1: We had percussion. Yeah, it was. That's why it's Orange County Drum and Percussion. We had a wow. full percussion room, a symbol room with a sliding glass doors and. That was soundproof with all the cymbal trees. I mean, it was it was like a, a little retail drum shop, a awesome. badass one. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and we dealt with all like the local pros from, uh, you could say, from like L.A. to San Diego, and just you know everywhere else. But it was just all the local pros. They knew where to come coming to Orange County drum. So it was just kind of like a a local drummer hang.
0: Hmm, man, so that
1: was what was cool about it.
0: Now. So that's kind of your introduction into the, the company and everything. Now, I'm sure you know a little bit more information about. Um, so Daniel Jensen is the founder of the company, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is can you right. give us which Daniel is a busy guy? We've uh, I've, I've tried to get there's a lot of Orange County employees. And like I said, it can be a little bit elusive. Sure. But he he, he drum techs with Travis Barker and a few other people. Right. That are very. Uh, I
1: believe so. I, I'm not sure what he's doing now, but I know he was with Travis forever. OK,
0: so, so hard guy to get nailed down but that being said um I think you you guys he wouldn't mind if you speak for him a little bit and kind of say say a little bit about the back history yeah I
1: mean I I can really just speak on what I went through just that time that I was there up until probably 2006 you know I was I started touring full-time in 2000 so I would just when I would get off tour I would go back there I'd always fill back in but uh that's when Jeremy and those guys were really really doing it holding it down but I was there like for the very beginning, like all the No Doubt stuff, the 311 stuff, the early Foo Fighters stuff, really when the origin of the company was starting, we were really working out the edges, working out all the marking, the badges. That's really when, other than the shark tooth lugs, and a lot of other designs came in later on, like yeah. all the hybrid shells and all the crazy stuff started coming in. That, that happened later on, but really, we, the origin really happened at, at uh, Lake Forest, on the Lake Forest
0: location. Gotcha. And now what year would you put that at as like, as the transition from like a drum shop to a, like to like the brand that we all see with like Travis Barker and like, like becoming like, well, it
1: started to happen. It started to happen in Lake forest. That's when we got three eleven and no doubt. And that was really that Chad was our everything at that point in time. He was our main guy and Adrian obviously too. But, uh, yeah, that was the, the main thing. And then when Travis came in, Travis still was with the Aquabats when we were dealing with Travis in the very beginning. You know, it was a, uh, you know, it was a, uh, took a while before and then he got with Blink. And so Travis in the very beginning wasn't our main guy. So that really, I would say, you know, once 2000 hit, you know, late nineties, two thousands, once he got with Blink, then that, that's when that whole thing really started. And that's when I kind of started going on tour. So I wasn't around the shop as much at that time.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, that that man, that's just like that. Um, Orange County was like the perfect. I mean, 311 Blink 182, no doubt. It's like a special time of like those bands of like in Orange County is just so much a part of it. And I remember there was an, uh, um, an issue of Modern Drummer where they were doing a Travis Barker giveaway and he had like a yellow Orange County kit. Or something, and it was like I just remember drooling I have the over. the flyer it. right behind me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like iconic as every kid and adult was just looking at, it going, "Oh my god!" But
1: we, we were at Lake Forest, and then it was time to move, so we moved into we moved all the equipment into Daniel's garage. That's where I was living at the time. So I was living downstairs. He had the master bedroom, and his mom we got, it was living It was one big house at the time. So that was our that was Orange County drum. That's, John would come; he would drive over every day, and we. Built, they built a, a router booth, a soundproof router booth, right in the garage, hmm. and that's where we
0: did it. So, as we're going here, can you also mention because I think Orange County has has employees who have gone on to do other awesome things, and it's just kind of like a yeah. it's just a special like in general, it's like one it's like a TV show where every single actor on the TV show went on to do other awesome <laughs> things, yeah. you know? Or they I don't know about I don't know about, yeah. don't know about every actor, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so. Let's go, maybe through a little bit. Continue with the timeline here, but like also just mention like some some names and what people were doing um, along the way.
1: Sure. Well, John was Daniel's partner, and he, they worked at West Coast Drum that before Orange County Drum. That was a another local drum shop retail store. Did restorations and rewrap, same thing. And they uh, they worked with another guy, Nikki. At this is back in the late '80s, and that's when they decided. Daniel hit them up and they all started Orange County Drum. I don't know if it was 89 or 90 and that's I I got in with them I think probably maybe a year or two years after they started. But uh and then Nikki was the main builder. I really learned a lot from Nikki. He was the one who really showed me. Nikki was the main builder back then.
0: No, that's good to know cuz I was going to say these drums are they're not just f- flashy, cool-looking, unique drums, they're also famous for how they sound and the craftsmanship. Sure. So,
1: Well, when it first started, it wasn't nearly as flashy. I mean, we were doing... We were wrapping a lot of drums in just straight laminate. Um, A lot of plastics. We were doing satin finishes and we would send out for high gloss, but there was no badges. Um, The edges were different. They were being done quite differently back then. And they weren't... That wasn't the main thing. They weren't doing nearly as much custom work. I mean, they were doing some, but... You know it wasn't the main thing by any means, and slowly it just once we got badges and we started getting more and more people playing them, or I should say Daniel got more and more people playing them then, uh yeah, that's when it really started taking off, yeah and that's when as soon as we got Chad and Adrian, that's when it started to change and then we went to the garage and then uh once we were in the garage, I forget maybe a year and a half two years we were in the garage, I think, and then that's when we moved into Santa Ana, and that's when some we got some other that's when Jeremy came in. I think Jeremy's one of the first guys that came in. I believe so.
0: Gotcha. That's gotta be a good feeling to be. I mean, it's a it's a classic like business story. You kind of you you, you expand and you get bigger and you move into a bigger shop and you grow. And I mean, these are not cheap drum sets. I'm assuming that the the, the quality well, went the up. Went, the, yeah.
1: The price went up throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. Because 'Cause I've got an old price lists, I've got old price lists back when we in the garage. Yeah. And it's like, Yeah. People still wish they were that price.
0: Um oh, you know. Man Yeah. I remember pricing went out I mean, I was like thirteen or twelve years old going to the website, like, let me look at how much one costs. It ended up being like a six thousand dollar drum set. and I was like, okay, yeah, never mind
2: <laughs> yep oh, yeah. I want this option. I want that option. Yeah.
0: yeah, which but they're they're worth it. So all right, let's let's so we're at Santa the Santa Ana shop. and um like you said, things are becoming more and more flashy because it really I think Orange County is really a predecessor of like brands like, like SJC and these boutique brands where it's sure. really the blueprint of like the flashy. Leds- I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I will say like, you know, we, that stuff had started in Lake forest. We were doing vintage snare drums. We were doing the, a lot of the offset lug configurations. A lot of that stuff was already being done, but, uh, the newer guys, once they stepped in, Jeremy, Max, and those guys, they really were starting to do some stuff that was really, they took it up a level. So, I mean, I got to give props to those guys. I, 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 can, I was there for the origin of a lot of the stuff, but then when I would get back off tour, like the stuff that I was seeing was just like, and then I was actually on tour with Angels and Airwaves. I was Adam's drum tech, Adam Willard's drum tech. Yeah, that's when Jeremy was really, the, the stuff that he was sending me out there was just like awesome. Like the hybrid stuff, the metal wood combinations, I mean, then they started doing the hollow bodies and I mean, just the the stuff that they were doing was above and beyond. I mean, I was kind of there for a lot of the cool stuff, but it really, they just took it to the next level Yeah, once I was yeah. out.
0: Well, yeah. it's, it's an interesting thing too, because this, it seems like the type of music began to like, I don't know, like, like, uh, like no doubt that kind of ska feel and these pop punk bands, like things started to get cranked higher and the vented snares and sure. all that. And the thin, the littler toms, Yeah, it just became like a, a thing and like the jelly bean kits and all that right. stuff. So like, I don't, who, who knows if, if orange County was like really, if, if the music scene was determining how you guys were building drums or if the way you were building drums was having a, a an effect on how things were sounding, you know what I mean? Like which one came first?
1: Well, I think maybe a little bit, maybe well, Ah uh, you know the sound, it was just the sound in that in the mid nineties, three eleven, when I when three eleven came in the mix, Chad's snare sound was really kind of that really shook things up. And in my opinion, at the time people were freaking on Chad's snare sound. So it was really a good time. It was a really good time for us to pick him up and, and it really kind of I think defined our sound. Same with Adrian. I mean I, I say Chad a lot because, you know, he's a such a badass drummer and he's such a creative mind behind what sure. he does. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what which one came first.
0: A little bit of both? Yeah. To me, again, looking on the website, you obviously had your major mm-hmm. label players and stuff, but you can't really... A business can't run just on making drums for, like, three mega artists. So, at that point, you guys were also, like, custom oh, yeah. shop, making things for everyone.
1: Oh, we were, yeah, we did more work for regular people than we did for artists. I mean, at least at that time. And I think that's probably how it was even towards the end. I mean, they were always selling I mean, especially towards the end, I'm sure internationally much more, but yeah, it was always selling to the masses. Yeah.
0: Now was there usually a long wait time to get a drum set in, in like the heyday of like everyone, everyone wanting an orange County kit. Was it like a year out typically to get a kit or how did that work?
1: Jared could probably answer that more. I mean, back when I was, I mean, it was, it wasn't too long, but I'm sure probably towards the end when I wasn't there, I'm sure it was probably more like that. Yeah. I'm sure I don't, was that how it was, Jared?
2: Yeah. I mean, it kind of varied. I mean, I remember reading things anywhere from like, you know, six to eight months. I know cats would order a kit and then immediately put it up on eBay and try mm. to get a price out of it. So people didn't wait. And then I knew that's probably why they sold out every time at the Nam show.
0: That's um, interesting.
2: Because people were just like, you know, that's the flashiest stuff they had. It was, you know, like a candy shop and people were just grabbing it because especially international. And I think that's why some of the craziest, rare Orange County yeah. stuff typically ended up overseas. Right. Like, that's usually when I'm collecting stuff, that's usually where I find the, uh, wow, what is that? I've never seen you. Right. They come over from Japan and just buy it up and take it home. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, Japanese culture, they're very into American culture. That's kind of their thing. But, oh, yeah, some of the most ridiculous drums, the like their hollow bodies that I was referring to, Mine hmm. came from overseas.
0: Interesting. So. Made a long trip away to come back <laughs> to you. Yeah, I've right. been to some of like the <laughs> the drum shows, yeah. and you do see you hear the rumor of uh, like Japanese collectors walking around filling up a container of stuff to send back uh, because of the market there being so. Uh, oh yeah, you know, right. hot.
2: Yeah, they do it with guitars or anything else. They would buy the the top of the line stuff, buy, buy full booths, and then just send it back over there. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the wait times, I guess, varied between, you know, what it is you ordered because they had different tiers. Like uh, I remember uh, if you looked at their layout, it would be like type one would be like standard laminates. Type two would be like, you know, satin stains or just um, or natural oil stains. Then like type three is when you start getting into the, uh, the crazy paints and uh, sparkle glitter wraps and stripes. So I guess it depended on what tier you ordered or if you ordered or offset lugs or powder coating whatever you ordered i guess would dictate how long yeah it took.
0: that's interesting you said powder coating because one thing i think i learned about powder coating because of looking at like orange county like like <laughs> rims and I, I, <laughs> before that too. i was like the hell powder coating me too. Uh, but now but i knew because <laughs> <laughs> i knew i wanted it that's <laughs> yeah also
2: for me it was like, I'm sure you can remember this. You would see the, whatever color the hardware was, say it was lime green. They would also have like a matching badge for it. And for me as a kid, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Hands down. Like, wait, what? Cause I'm used to like, you know, I remember growing up looking at like old Ludwig's like, ah, who cares <laughs> about Ringo? You know what I mean? And then you see this. Yeah. Like,
0: what? It's is almost that? in a way. Uh, it's it is and it isn't but it's almost like like a like it's defying against the traditional American brands which we all love the Ludwig's and the Slingerlands but it's like it's like mm-hmm. here's something different this is our generations I mean this is you know I feel like people born in like 80 90 this is like this it screams like early 2000s it's like this is different this isn't a 1960s drum set this is like this is our special thing Well
1: you know, at the time when we, when I first started working there, I mean, there was really not, there was pork pie. I was talking to Jared about this, but there wasn't really anybody doing anything that crazy. I mean, it was still drums were coming out of the eighties. So it was still the metal scene was still going. There's still big power toms and Queen's Queensryche was still banging on the radio. I mean, it was still, it was still transferring over. So Orange County drum really came in right. They kind of were. They kind of found their own little niche at the time, I think. And that's why I think a lot of companies that came after them, you see, uh, they started kind of a trend. So it's like, yeah, I, in my opinion, they're kind yeah. of one of the first ones, if not, well, I don't want to say the first, but one of the first ones to get in on that. Yeah.
2: I mean, we've learned, uh, we've learned from other, I mean, I've learned from watching other episodes. There's sometimes these parallels where you figure out like, who's the first to create uh, acrylic drums and simultaneously yep. you might have five or six people doing it. I don't want to say Orange County was the first, but uh, yeah, when you come to think of it, I think there might've been only a few cats doing custom stuff.
1: I had never seen a big hole in a snare drum in my life before Daniel came up with the idea to put a, idea to put a hole in a snare drum, which I mean, it came from a, yeah. the idea of a, of a, a, a Ludwig Coliseum slotted snare drum, but you get, that has to be eight inches, 10 inches deep. You gotta have high tension lugs on it. So the idea was kind of get that concept and you can put on any size drum, just put a big hole in it. So yeah, before that, I'd never seen that idea. I mean, it was so just an example. Yeah. I, I think the Orange County drum innovated that in its form that you see it as a as a
0: large. Absolutely. Hole. Which I got. All right. So that's a topic we got to talk about is vented snares, because I mean, like, let's. All right. So this is we're on YouTube as well. But let's let's maybe for people driving in the car, describe you know, if someone hasn't seen or heard of a vented snare, either one of you guys, uh, what what is it? What's the point of it? You kind of explained a little bit about the history of it. Talk about vented snares. You want me to
2: take it, Jared? I'll take my take on it. Um, I mean, you're the um I credit him for coming up with the 20 ply shell, but uh essentially a vented snare, when you think air vents on a drum, most typically you have one air vent and it's only about a half an inch, some are like three eighths. The vented snare that he's referring to are big, large holes, two and a quarter or two inches, all the way up to four inches. And there's typically, depending on the size of the drum, anywhere from, you know, four to, I mean, we've seen, I've seen stuff, a yeah. hundred vents on a snare drum. But uh, a vented snare is basically a snare drum with holes drilled into it. And it um, it's very dry, very loud. I would say you get more of no the low, uh, no, head sound. No low end. It's not warm. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of a unfortunately. Uh, I, as much as I love the brand, I feel like it's it is a very one trick pony. But um, I think what did it for people is just the sheer volume and the the ghost notes and the snare because you hear a sure. lot of the snare. Well, it, the inside like the said, inside of the snare, snare sound
1: just, just goes out. So like, if you're looking at the side of a vintage snare drum, you're looking straight in at the at the underside of the snare wire. So it's literally just projecting straight yeah. out. So it's just a really exaggerated snare sound, yeah. basically. And it looks cool.
2: Yeah. It does look cool. And I think uh, the timing of it, I think a lot of artists um, and uh, maybe producers kind of got along with, like, uh, I would say, like Limb Biscuit, Stain, those big bands, when they started to make a break, I think they really started propelling that, you know what I mean? Wow. These things get some crazy sounds because or like, I think one of the most iconic ones that people remember is um, Deftones. When you hear Abe, anything off White Pony, you hear that snare sound. Yeah. You can't forget it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, collectability yeah. wise, I feel like it's like, a, you know, people who are snare collectors would want to have one because it's kind of like a what is that? You know, like I, I need to have. Some, and But you said there's a hundred on some where I've seen that where it's like Swiss cheese.
1: I think I think the one we did had I think it had forty two holes wow. I believe I think it was a burgundy satin finish but that was on Lake Forest it was one of the yeah, something like first that. ones we did and it was just Swiss cheese like you're talking about
0: construction wise is that just get a you know around a get like drill it out drill it out I'm sure there's some more precision to it but what would the construction process of something a vented snare be like pretty much just
1: drill it out and uh, there's a yeah. tool that they use to to sand it. Uh-huh sand it in it basically just we when we first started doing it for the first few years i forget how long everyone was hand drilled hand filed and then hand sanded what you had to start on one half work the half go from the inside and flip the drum over do the other half mm. and shape out the flares inside and out it was all hand filed and hand sanded wow. just all the way to the end and then hand lacquered and wow. then another tool came in later on into the mix that really kind of Streamlined it, made it way better and way faster.
2: I think uh, Bart can also agree with me. Um, as a kid, going to either local shows or like I'm sure every kid has tried <laughs> to drill a hole because of Orange <laughs> County in their snare drum in some yeah. way, shape, or form. And I'm
1: sure, probably many. I'm sure, probably many <laughs> of them went straight all the way through from the outside
2: and blasted straight through the inside without stopping. and yeah, coming back through. Yeah, I'm sure. The amount of butchered drums Orange County is responsible (laughs) for, Um, every kid I'm sure has tried. It
1: kills me how many Orange County drums that people decided they wanted to rewrap and refinish. It's just beyond me that like so many of them, I mean, Jared tells me stories and so many people just like, I want to rewrap this. I added more holes to this. I did this. It's like,
2: yeah, so many of them got ruined. I think they also don't understand that like in the grand scheme of things, Orange County is so still relatively small and the number of drums that they pumped out, I will grab i I'll collect them and I get one and I'll be like, huh, oh, this one's a weird one. I've never seen it before. I'll ask somebody who used to work there, come to find out like, Oh, well that used to be Dave Grohl or Taylor mm-hmm. Hawkins from their side project. And I almost refinished it, you know, things like that. So I always tell people when they're, I get hit up all the time to get asked, uh, Hey, I want to redo this or I want yeah. to, I do it more on it. Do you, does it need to be like, is the wrap bubbling? Is the powder coating is things bent or things not working? I have nothing against that, but uh, to take a perfectly good finished drum and change the color of it. Yeah, exactly. Just get a I different mean, drum but by color. nature,
0: yeah. Orange County is a very like customizable brand. So I guess the people who are buying them like to have custom, customized things that are really unique, but I guess it's different if the original brand is customizing it.
1: Well, it's like it's like buying a vintage car. It's like buying a vintage, having a vintage car or a vintage anything and completely repainting it, putting new bumpers on it, changing the interior color. It's not original anymore. It's not. It's you've totally killed its yeah. value. So the most valuable vintage anything is the ones that are all original, original paint, original condition, preserved. Yeah. You know, that's always going to draw the most yeah. money.
0: Let's hop back on kind of going through the history of the company a little bit more with. So we were at Santa Ana, just just checking in about how many drums Orange County was really producing, like in a day or a month, like how many drums were being cranked out? Um, Because these, again, are like hand built drums. These are not mass produced. What was uh, maybe at its heyday? What like at the prime, like 2000s? Is that fair to say that that would be the like? What would be the peak? I would
1: say, yeah, I would say mid two thousands. Okay. How many yeah. drums were mid-2000s. being cranked
0: out a day? Drum sets, snares, whatever. At its peak. Well, I can't speak too much
1: on it because I was, like I said, I was really touring a lot at that point in time. Early on, it was more like I would build a snare drum from start to finish. I would cut, the, I would cut it out of the tube, do everything all the way to the point of assembly, and that's really how I like to build drums. But you know, that's you can't do that once you start really cranking them out, that's just not yeah. what you can do. So when I started coming back in the 2000s, when I would get off tour, when I would go back, it was getting more more of a, not mass production feel, but a little bit more of a, a factory yeah. type assembly of assembly line. They, I would go back in and they just had me, yeah, they just had me doing vents. I would just sit in there and just grind out vents and vents and vents. And that's just hand me a snare, just do the vents, pass it on. It's just all I was doing. And, and I wasn't enjoying it at the time. I was complaining about it, I'm sure. <laughs> But, uh, but that's the like, yeah, I just, but it was getting more like it yeah. had to be like that. I mean, that's the way it goes in yeah. any company. That's that's you got to have departments yeah. and that's what you do in that department. And that's and they started getting more. But it wasn't ever fully like that. But it was I mean, I don't know what they were cranking up per day, but they were definitely moving a lot more when I was going yeah. back later.
0: Jared, any insight on that? Because I'm sure you've followed like serial numbers and things like that of ironically enough.
2: They yeah. don't really have serial yeah. numbers. <laughs>
0: oh, that's good to know. So okay, that—that's
2: the other thing. Is I was about to say is it's almost. I've tried because I've been asked this before, and I am sure even if you would ask Daniel or anybody else who was there for a very long time, I don't think anybody knows the answer to how many drums no, were actually yeah. made. <laughs> it's kind right. of a guess. Um yep. I there because again, like Mike said in the beginning, they didn't even have badges on the drums. It wasn't really. I don't think thought out that way. Like, Oh, yeah. we're going to be doing this for quite some time and it's going to take off. So they literally just had a local trophy maker make badges. Everything was always local to where they were. Yeah. His name
1: was, his name was Lou. And I, I, I honestly, I can't speak for Daniel, but I honestly don't think when Daniel started Orange County drum, he realized what it was going to become. I don't know. I don't know if he necessarily had the, the vision to say this is what I mean maybe he did maybe I'm wrong but it sure. definitely seemed like it unfolded as time went on I mean I think he was just yeah. wanted a badass local yeah. drum shop flying by the city or dance yeah and wanted to work with John and Nikki and he was young at the time so I'm not sure if he realized yeah. what it was what he was creating but uh it definitely
2: unfolded into that that's what I mean I'm sure it was an afterthought to be like hey let's put serial numbers on these if somebody calls or wants to match up something right. you know I don't think they thought that far ahead cuz I can't tell you I mean Just when I think I've seen everything, somebody will post something for sale and I go, where was this thing hiding? Or like, I've never seen that. Not that they'd had catalogs and they had, you know, their website, but they weren't very, um, it wasn't like internet was now where you have to post every day on social media on like Instagram, like your latest build or something. I think they were just rolling these things out. Not really thinking, oh, well, we should have taken a photo of that too late now. Um, so I you're, don't think you're
0: just working and work. Yeah. And working. Yeah. At the time, at the
1: time, I mean, it didn't seem like I certainly didn't realize that it was going to be what it became. I mean, when I kind of found that orange County drum group on Facebook later on, like I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow, there's people that are this into it. And like, it's a thing. Like I just, I was out of touch. I kind of was going through my own thing for a long time. So I just wasn't, I didn't know what was going on with the company, but yeah, at the time, back in the early Late 90s, early 2000s, I certainly didn't realize that it was that it was something that was going to be iconic and that it was going to be people were going to be talking about probably forever. It was going to be part of drum history. No idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It 100% is a part of drum history because it's like it's just its own category. Um, and who designed the logo?
1: Well, Daniel and those guys had the the O, the C, and the D and P. That was them. I'm not sure. I'm sure probably Daniel and John because
0: it's iconic. Yeah. I mean, on the right. front of the drum set, that like how right. it all fits into the each circle, other. It's, yeah, it seems obvious now. You go, oh, these letters all kind of Russian doll into each other. But it's like you know that had to take some thought and some designing, and uh, it it is it's cool. It fits. I don't know. It feels California. If that makes sense. SoCal, SoCal. <laughs>
1: I think at that at that point in time, Daniel Daniel was really the visionary behind the whole thing. I mean, Daniel was really, really into it. That was his life, that was his passion. And uh he's really he's really the reason why they got the people that they did. I mean, he's he he's got the gift of gab. So he, you know, he really got out there and he's the one that got all these artists and got these people to be into his company. I mean, I, I give props where props are due. I mean, he really kind of It's really, he's the one that kind of generated the whole thing, turned it into what it was, you know,
2: thinking along the lines of, um, you know, Hey, it's going to be this massive company, but everything was like, Oh, powder coating. We got a guy down the block who does that, uh, trophy maker. So Lou was right
1: next door, literally like he shared a wall with us. So you walk out our front door and you walk into Lou's the trophy shop. And we just went in there and said, Hey, can you engrave us some little beds? And he was like, okay. And then actually this, this right here, when we were designing them, we uh daniel and i were like how big can you make it like what's the biggest size you can make and he was like oh i think i can make it like six by 12 and we're like make us two of those we need to just and so i kept one and daniel kept the other and that's that's what that is
0: yep and to describe for the audio folks he's got an awesome like a jumbo badge yeah it's like a
2: plaque yeah the badge to end all badge (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like a plaque it is a plaque it's a
0: trophy (laughs) yeah
2: but uh for me like that was the cool thing and Later on as people asked me to restore these things I found it so fun to go down and track down where they got these things like you would see um, like a Louis Vuitton snare drum show up on uh, from Orange County you're like where why and then you'd find out oh I got this at the fabric district or like oh this um, this guy was a local painter there was always something so for me it's always trying to find track down like the uh, the original paper trail to try to keep it more authentic you know. Yeah,
1: and if you, and if the, and I was telling Jared, yeah. I was telling Jared the older drums, if you were to take off the badge, you'll see the file marks. Lou would, after he would trim them and cut them, he would take each one by hand, he would file the backs, file off the birds. So if you take off the old badges and you wow. see file marks, that's from Lou.
0: Wow. Did he do, we'll get to the, like, later it sort of, it turned into something, the company turned into something different, like Guitar Center and all that. But did, did Lou with the trophy shop, did he do, like, all of the, like, custom shop ones, or did that did that change at some time to need to be He
1: did. He did produced? all all the stuff at Lake Forest, all the 311 stuff, all like, Jared's got some of the badges. Like he's got, a, he did, we did alien head badges, we did crop circle badges. I mean, we just do, cause Chad was literally like, yeah. I want crop circles on my drums, I want aliens on my drums. And we we're like, okay, like, I think the alien head was an alien workshop sticker he gave us. It was like a skateboard company. He's like, that's the alien head I want. Wow. So we literally just got yeah, the logos yeah, yeah. and brought them to Lou. And he made a digital image of it and engraved it so that's he was just doing them next door i Man. don't know how long lou did the badges I'm, I'm sure probably at the end he wasn't doing them i'm okay. assuming
2: but yeah like like mike's saying i'm not sure either um i do know that there's like a sh- certain error of when like the spacing of the holes for the badge changed slightly and i don't know if that's just the idea of being handmade from a local trophy guy and they just that batch was different, or if it's they'd had switched to somebody else. I honestly don't know. But um yeah, I'm pretty sure he did the badges until the company didn't make custom shop anymore.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Lou Lou was Lou was really old, even in the late nineties. Yeah, Lou was like in his eighties. So I don't know. I don't know Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if Lou was making them towards the end or not.
2: Yeah, so that's what I mean. We don't we don't know.
0: Yeah. And and I mean, it hits a cost prohibitive thing. That's why brands like, like at some point you get so big that you have to order a bag of 10,000 from, you know, Taiwan or whatever. Lou would give them to
1: us and toilet paper and he would put one, fold it, put another one, fold it, put another one. So we'd get them in these like, and then put a piece of tape around it. So we'd go over to Lou's and we'd pick them up just these little stacks of badges (laughs) wrapped in toilet paper. That's
0: how we got them. Crazy. (laughs) I just love that. I mean, it's like, it, you're making drums for some of the biggest drummers in the world, but I guess that's that attention. It's just like this cool, like just dudes is a good way to describe it. Making these drums, you know what I mean? Again, it's like SoCal guys making drums. It, it's a it all has a vibe to it.
1: everything oh, yeah. well at, the, at at Lake Forest, like I mentioned, we had a we had a rehearsal room that they did lessons. They did drum lessons. So we had like several instructors that did lessons in there. So we'd have kids hanging out in there doing lessons. And like Taylor came in one day with a cassette tape and he's like, dude, I got to audition for this. Like he couldn't even pronounce it. Swear to God. He was like Alanis Morris. I don't even know, bro, but he he literally (laughs) sat in there and rehearsed for Alanis Morris set for like a month straight. So I was like building drums, listening to Taylor slam out the parts in our little rehearsal room. Like it, it was just a local hang for all the, I mean, every like lunch was a, a was a deal like everybody would want to eat lunch with us so like any given day yeah. there would be like our whole workshop would just be full of drummers all place chinese orders and send somebody out to go get it and it would just be all that's sitting awesome. around eating eating food talking about drums so it was for me it was a dream job
0: that's like a special time in history for you guys for everyone involved there we're like i mean you guys are young you're sitting there it's the the cool spot to be things are going well, you're making money doing it, the, the company is. I mean, that's just like, yeah. it's like lightning in a bottle. Like, I, And it seems like you appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. I think of like the Lake Forest location as like the the where it all started. I think that's, if I would ever go back and like want to go visit a location, I would go back. I mean, I would see them both. But to me, the Lake Forest location is special to me. And I think that's where really everything, that's where the fire got started. That's where it really ignited Yeah. to me. Yeah.
0: Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Twin Cities Drum Collective in Minnesota. They make 651 drums played by Dave King of the Bad Plus and Dave Watt of the Motet. They have a rockin' drum shop and they invented an ingenious product that drummers rave about, Hoop Protect. Pretty much all of us have gunked up bass drum hoops from failed hoop guards. Well, Hoop Protect slips right on with no adhesive and provides the best pedal grip you'll ever get and it prevents or ends damage to your hoops. Danny Carey from Tool has three on his set Ronnie from The Killers bought 10 for his Craviato collection. It's brilliant for anything hoop-mounted. And it's an easy buy for only $11.99. Go to tcdrumcollective.com to find it, or follow them on Instagram at Twin Cities Drum Collective, where you can get it from the link in their bio. Hoop Protect, from the makers of 651 Drums and one of the coolest drum shops around. Hoop Protect, get it today. It's interesting too. Parallels of like Ludwig and Ludwig in the very beginning. I think that was a drum shop. The two the the brothers that was a drum shop. Drum workshop was like like that was you know lessons and things like that. It's like these some of these companies start with like we're gonna do all this stuff and then they 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 find their their special thing that they're good at and then like it just happens naturally. You know what I mean? Like well we're gonna make more making drum sets than we are as a retail shop. Uh, so a lot of parallels to other historical companies yeah the
1: the retail was obviously you know with guitar center and everything else it just got to the point where the retail was just not not happening so uh and the custom thing was really starting to become what it was so
0: Yeah. yeah so i'm also wondering and and this is like one of those questions that i think everyone out there wonders and if it's something where you don't want to answer you don't have to but like do drummers like in the prime like like adrian young chad sexton Travis Barker did those guys pay for their extremely expensive nice drum sets or was it more like no he, he, here's not the drum at that set. time not not no. the
1: big guys no that was actually a little bit of a, a thing because you know the vice president John was really doing the books and was doing doing all the ordering and doing everything so he was a lot more like trying watching the books and watching the money and Daniel as I said he likes to you know he's out there trying to spread the company and spread the love and show people and check out my drums. So he was very generous. Daniel was extremely generous with his drums to the point of John would be like, dude, <laughs> what are you doing? Cause he would just give them out. Like I would be on tour. Like I was on Ozfest 2002. I did 2000 and 2002. And on 2002, I literally made a drum for almost every single artist on the main stage. I went to every single person, Mike, uh, Mike Borden, uh, John from system, uh, tempesta mm-hmm. so uh yeah i went around literally to each artist and was like what I, i'm gonna make you a snare drum what do you want what color do you like what da, da, da. and then i would just call up the shop make me this it's from mike borden i want this this and that and literally within a week and a half boom i just give them a, a an address to a venue and it would just show up i'd walk on the docks and be like here you go so i literally gave away i was giving away like if i ever called them up and be like there's an artist i'm on tour with that want to give them a snare they'd be like okay here yeah so Every time I probably gave away seven, ten snare drums hmm. on tour. Yeah. So yeah, if it was a big artist and they were into it,
0: boom. Definitely. Well, it worked out. I mean, but like, that's like, you need both sides. You need, like you said, John, who's like, you, you got to stop versus like Daniel, where it's like, we'll no, we need to get this out. We wouldn't be here. If I mean, you're not going to catch a famous drummer by saying, we're going to sell you the snare. It's two thousand dollars or whatever. I'm sure it wasn't that expensive, right. but like, but like, you you get them, and then someone else sees what they're playing, and then they want to order it, or like Travis Barker on MTV, like it's history.
1: Daniel literally went to a 311 because we were he had fallen in 311. We ever we all fell in love with 311, but he actually went to, from my understanding, went to a, a 311 show, and when the show was over, Yeti was their drum tech at the time, Chad's drum tech, and uh, Daniel had a snare with him and got his attention and was like, hey, man, I want to give this to Chad. And he was like, you want to give that to Chad? And he was like, yeah. He was like, hold on. And he just walked back, grabbed Chad from the dressing room. He walked out, and Danny was like, here. And Chad was just like, what? And that was the beginning. That's That was it. I mean, he just showed up at a show and was like, hey, I want to give you a snare. And that was that's what did it. Man. And that's what Danny would do. He would just show up and be like, we want
2: to give you a snare drum. Here, yeah. have it. Hmm. Put your name on it. We engraved your name on it. Kind of like the uh, kind of like the old days of uh, you know the salesmen's going to uh, door yep. to door to drum shops back like you know no social media. I'm sure they had nobody really calling the shop to order drums. Yeah. They just walked up and was yeah. like here you go. Yeah, that was, what, that was what it was. I think that uh, that really kind of set that really helped set the vibe too in a way. You know,
0: you have to build your own. It's like you're building your own like um, like uh, reputation of like. And then you can say, oh, this drummer plays it. Oh, that drummer plays it? All right, well, now I want to play it. Oh, well, he plays it too, so now this drummer plays it. It's just building and building and building, but it seemed like it happened fast.
1: Well, I think when Chad I think when Chad started playing the drums and got so into it, there was so many drummers that just looked up to Chad. Chad was, at that time, and still, but at that time when he first hit the scene, when 311 hit the scene, it was just kind of like people were yeah. freaking on Chad. So when we got Chad, it really legit- legitimized Orange County drum. I mean, it was like it made... You know, we really started to get yeah. on the map at that point. Yeah.
2: And, yeah, and, like, the the timing of it, like I said, um, like it said in the beginning, a lot of these guys, Chad, I'm sure, and sure with uh, No Doubt, they were just local bands, you know. That was the local drum shop just making drums for local drummers. And then, fast forward, when they started making the break, it just happened, you know what I mean, the timing just happened to work out where, like, oh, yeah, we made drums for Chad, in a garage before, you know, these massive records came out and then the rest is kind of history.
1: And, and Daniel and I were also doing the doing albums. So we that was a big thing of what we were doing. We were uh, we would we would go in the studio, so we'd build the drums and they would call us, Hey, can you bring in the studio? So we oh, go cool. in the studio and tune. Um, we did did uh, no doubt Tragic Kingdom, did three eleven blue album, three eleven transistor.
0: That's awesome.
1: So uh yeah that was, that was a big part of what we did in the studio, going in the studio and actually tuning the drums, getting, getting
0: tones. You gotta be everywhere. You gotta do everything. I mean, you guys were, were, uh, absolute hustlers at it where you're just going hard. And, and, you know, I feel like when people are younger, there's not much like you have less responsibilities. You have less. Yeah.
1: Well, da- Daniel was really the driving force behind it. I, I was, I got fortunate, you know, I, I moved in with him. I lived with him. I, I, Got a job there when I was 16, but I moved in with 18 at his house at the garage. So, uh, but he really, he was really the driving force behind the whole thing. I kind of just was a tag along. I got to be a part of the whole thing and I kind of made my mark in my own way, but Daniel really was what really drove the whole thing forward and, and really all the artists, everything was really, Daniel's the one that really
0: made it yeah. all happen. Now, let me ask. So let's fast forwarding back again when things were like total, like, I mean, the all the drummers are great and huge, but like Travis Barker is even to this day. I mean, he's on, I mean, he's with the Kardashians and stuff. It's mega. Yeah. So was there a point at the peak of like orange County madness where things were starting to like get out of control for you guys, where it was like hard to keep up with the demand and like, like, this is crazy. How do we, how do we do this where you needed some like business help or anything? Did it ever get a little like, whoa, like, we're uh, over in over our heads here. Um, again, I I
2: can only speculate on this. Uh, don't hold me to this, but, um, the way that they had set up their business model, I'm sure you remember from looking at the website back in the day, you could essentially price out what your kit was. What they would do is they would say, okay, for us to start your kit, we need a 50% deposit. And then once it's done, we get the 50%, you know, the remainder. Um, Unfortunately, that business model was, I, I feel was more like you got to rob Peter to pay Paul kind of vibe. So what would happen was my deposit would cover somebody else's. So I think they kind of got wrapped up in getting backed up in waiting for parts or things. And also, cause a lot of things were outsourced like the super crazy paint jobs or the powder coating. If they quoted a customer X amount of dollars and the painter really stuck it to them, it is what it is. Um, so I think there was a lot of issues with that. So I don't. I, I think maybe it got overwhelming as far as that. But uh, again, I was not there, so I do not know.
1: There was a little bit of that when I was working there. I mean, it was always there was there was times we'd have to steal parts off other yeah. snare drums to complete other snare drums. I mean, just this is, this is way back in the day. So I mean, it was always we were never <laughs> business first. I don't think any one yeah. of us were ever like good business people. I mean, it definitely like you know at least speaking. Daniel was I'm not going to talk about Daniel but uh yeah, he was yeah, really all about dealing with the artist first and foremost yeah, yeah. and John really kind of was running things business wise for the most part I mean obviously they were collaborating but and I think probably they could have used at many times probably could have used a really good business person but yeah I'll say that you
0: know no and I I say that completely out of respect of like you guys are musicians and it's just interesting to have like cautionary tales of like what did happen where even with the podcast, like I make some money off advertising and Patreon, and I've never documented in a single month <laughs> oh, how yeah. much I've made for any month. I just keep moving forward. And it's like we're all in the same boat of like, I should probably be tracking this uh, <laughs> at some point. But
2: oh yeah, you you do a gig. I have no exactly. idea. Like, I guess they paid me that or maybe it came from that
0: gig. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but I don't know, man. You guys are—it's—it'd be—it'd be be odd if it was like, oh no, we we all had you know MBAs and we were, yeah. It was just all a bunch
1: of (laughs) drummers and musicians. I mean, John was a bass, put John's bass player, and uh, so it was just all a bunch of freaking musicians in there just doing what we love to do. So it wasn't—it wasn't business first, you know, from what I remember.
2: It it also kind of goes back to that theme we had said earlier of just like flying by the seat of your pants and just figuring it out as you go. Like, um, Michael has told me countless times, dude, I did not know this was going to be what it is. Yeah. Like it had this mark. Um, he's like, dude, we were just a bunch of drummers bullshitting in a, in a yep. garage. And then it's now this, you know, some of the, in my opinion, like the Holy grail of drugs now. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, Hey, let's be business minded. Cause we're trying to make this last 30, 40 years. We're going to go public with, um, Stock markets and things like that. Like, no, it was just no, nah, man. Just make the
0: drum for the guy down the
2: block. We'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which maybe it wouldn't be as cool if it was like that. You know, if it was. And,
1: and we were just doing stuff that was just. I mean, it was just kind of a cool because you could just sit around and just think up crazy ideas. Like, let's do this color combination, or what if? Like, I was I was one of the first ones. I think maybe the the first one to say, "Hey," because I was learned how to do inner hoops, reinforcement hoops. So I was doing those with Nikki, and one day I was like, why don't we take a whole tin ply shell and trim the whole thing and pound it inside and make one thick-ass shell? And I remember John laughing, like, you've lost your effing mind. Like He <laughs> laughed at everything. Like You guys have lost it. He thought me and Daniel were freaking crazy at everything we did. But we did yeah. it, and I had it, and it, we got it so loose. We actually had, had a huge gap. We filled it in with – he took wood glue and mixed in sawdust with it. It didn't look good, but it was the very first one we did, and I wrapped it in this ugly purple color. Which actually was from the same material <laughs> roll from that from Daniel's purple kit that I told you about his original huge massive purple kit, and it actually got stolen at a POD studio session, so I don't have it anymore. But it was number oh. one; it was the number one first twenty ply. So, yeah, jeez, that sucks. I will yeah, find, he, it yeah, Jared's on find it. Jerry promised me it,
2: but I think it was an <laughs> yeah. inside. I think it was an
1: inside job. So I'm pretty sure it's sitting in a studio right now, probably one of my probably. boy's studios. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Man, with a towel over it, just like, hoping no one no, looks at no, it. No,
1: probably just sitting right out in the open. No
2: shame. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to to go off of what Mike was saying, too, the idea that they could just make these crazy, you know, ideas and just whip them out, I think it really um, kind of turned the industry upside down from all perspectives of other drum totally. companies. Like, you have the American brands, like Ludwig had was kind of in disarray. Slingerland didn't exist you really only had a handful of like you know DW wasn't the mecca of DW you think now Um, Bill Deppmore was still just same thing probably like you guys just in a garage at his house doing this Um, there wasn't a whole lot of um, American brands it was mostly Japanese and imports and just this is the drum set this is the color this is what you order this is what you get drums
1: were always very traditional and nobody had ever really like taken it and just flipped the whole thing on his head I think that's kind of what we did I think that's kind of what we were oh, one of yeah, the first people sure. to take drums and just do some just things with them that nobody had ever even thought about doing. So,
2: I remember, you know, as a kid, you would see, um, you know, well, here's a Pearl kit. You got these big mounted toms on a kick drum, and then you see Orange County with these double ported bass drum heads and yep. flashy colors. Next thing you know, Pearls like, we do custom. We have a Masters Works yep. or uh, DW's like, oh, we're custom. We'll do short stack toms. I think they started realizing, oh, wow, I think these guys are onto something. Let's take that idea and roll with it as well. Yeah.
1: And Jared, I'll tell the story real quick. I was on tour with P.O.D. I was on tour with P.O.D. and Love. I, I gave him, he had five Orange County Drum snare drums, and he played two of them. His side snare was a Rasta snare, red, golden, green, sparkle, and they had a black and red, black with red powder-coated hardware snare, both 6x12s. And Derek from Pearl, the ref, he hated it. And Pearl hated it. They were like... So we were on tour with Lincoln Park, and he came to the show, and he was like, "Mike, you gotta, you gotta get him off these Orange County snares." He was at the time he was one of Pearl's, if not Pearl's, biggest guy, and he's like, "So we want to make you some snares that we want you to play. So we're gonna make you some reference. So we're gonna make you some thick shell snares. So we actually were the first ones. He made us two twelves Pearl reference with the with the thick shells. Love was the very first one to get those. The very first two. I don't even think he has them anymore. Mm. But those were the very first two Pearl." Pearl had to copy it. Pearl was like, literally, like, we're gonna make you thick shell snares, so you'll play them. So you'll get rid of, stop playing the Man. Orange County snares. Man. So that just shows you that the, at that yeah. time, big, the, Pearl was the biggest company in the world, drum company. Yeah. So yeah. they were like, we're gonna, we're yeah. gonna
2: do, and, that, and now I think they still make those shells to this day for the reference snares. Man, so yeah, true story. And uh, I mean, they start doing crazy things like that to try to play catch up. Like, oh wow, somebody's taking. You know, a market share. We need to get on that. And then I think they also, not even just the the flash finishes and thick shells, it was also just, at the time, Mike would tell you, you built a drum from start to to end at Orange County, hand sanding everything, lacquering it yourself. There wasn't really a drum at that time that had that many man hours, I guess you would say that much love or an intention put into it, it was just, it's hot off the press. It's wrapped in this color and it's shipped yeah. in a box overseas yeah. to you. You know, yeah. I think it really started making Pearl and DW and other guys start going, okay, we need to really work on quality control because these guys are killing it and yeah. we're not.
1: Well, I think they all started think. to realize that there was a new generation of drummers and there was a new generations of drums and they were always for so long. They would, always, like I said, it always been tradition. All those companies had always followed the tradition. So once we, we kind of shook up the whole tradition. Yeah. So that's when companies started to take notice. You
2: can't drill holes in these things. You can't mount it this way. Like, sure, you can. Powder (laughs) coat, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, wait, it glows in the dark? why would you do Man. that? i like, why not? And I cannot be the only <laughs> one
0: thinking the parallel between with uh, love from POD loving the snare drum and buddy rich and his iconic five snare that he would, he would not let go of. He would always have his in and in oh, yeah. and they would get so furious about it. They'd say, no, you got to play this. And uh, you know, if you're a big, big drummer, you can pull some weight and you can play. I- ideally you can play what you want.
1: Well, I'm sure there's probably certain yeah. levels. Once you get to a level where you're getting paid money yeah. and, you know, you're a paid endorsee, then you've got a contract. Yeah. I'm sure that's, that's something entirely different. Yeah.
0: yeah. You Orange County wouldn't want it to go the other way where they're playing someone else's snare. No. And then you're like, well, what, what the fuck? We're not. paying you. Yeah. 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 So, um, all right, let's keep moving forward and we'll kind of get closer to the end of it, but I want to ask while we're in this heyday, maybe this question goes to you, Michael, for, um, you know, the Orange County guys who were there in the day, like, was there a moment that sticks out to you of like like Travis Barker on the VMAs or something like this of just like, holy crap, we have made it like, like a, the pinnacle that you think back on of like your happiest memory of like, all right, the company has made it. Is there anything that sticks out to you in that era?
1: Well, you know, I mean, honestly, probably in the years when things were really the biggest with Travis and all that stuff, I really wasn't around. So I can't, I think that's probably when they were at their peak, okay. but for me, you know, Having at the time having Chad, Adrian, and Taylor from Foo Fighters at the time, yeah, that was really for me. That was that was the coolest thing. I mean, I think the company went on to have more success and and more popularity. And I I don't think I was around. I don't think I experienced that as much. But for me, it was just I always look at those early days when when the when everything was cultivated. That's to me that was the most special time, and I'll always. If, when I think back, if people were to ask me, like, what's the most special time in Orange County drum history, I wouldn't say the later years. I would say the early years. Okay. Just, maybe that's because I was there, but that's when everything really – That's by the time we got to Santa Ana, everything was established. I mean, it was – they were cranking by the time we got to Santa Ana. So, I really think the Lake Forest location was, was when – the or, the origins of the company. That's when everything was really yeah. laid special out.
0: special mojo yeah. going on in that, like, yeah. stars aligning. So, then – Jared mm-hmm. and Michael jump in whenever, obviously, too. But so when when Michael, when you weren't there and when things when when, you know, the back half of the company, Jared picking up here is kind of a collector, restorer, enthusiast, love lover of, of Orange County. What happened on that point? Kind of where Michael's time there and not. And, you know what I mean? I'm sure you're still friends with everyone. Around
1: 2000, around 2006. Yeah. I
2: moved out of California in
0: 2006.
2: Okay. So that's around when I was.
0: Out. All right. So then what happens from there?
2: Uh, I mean, some of this is documented. Some of this is just my perspective. Um, So I think a combination of in 2006, I mean, um, at that time, um, Blink-182 was no longer. They were on their hiatus, had broken up. And uh, Travis was doing, I think, a lot of DJ stuff and other things. They had plus 44. So I think as the main endorser, I think, you know, um, that slowed up a little bit. Also, you start looking at... um, Daniel and other guys like Mike and guys who were around the shop in the beginning, like even Jeremy, they were now out on tour with other people. So you didn't really have, you know, the guys in the shop like that that used to be there to really hold it down or buckle it down.
1: And I mean, not, I mean let me just say one thing real quick. I, in my opinion, it, it really would have been good. Daniel was busy, and I, obviously he was doing his thing. But I think if Daniel had been able to be around the shop more and be more hands on with it, I think possibly things could have been a little different. But you know, he really got. got caught up in what he was doing so it was all being run by other people you know he wasn't able to you know he wasn't able to sit down there and really run it directly probably the way he should have I think it could have been better
2: if he was able more but whatever carry on yeah good good,
0: good point yeah
2: so no yeah he makes the point but yeah uh, essentially there's that and then just so many factors that were piling up um you had a lot of, um, quote unquote, custom builders popping up overnight. It seemed like, and they were taking not also the, just, you know, the idea of the ported heads. And I feel like I saw a square badge on every drum for, you know, 10 years, just trying to, the double ported bass drum heads, just really trying to cash in on the orange County thing. And people were kind of taking the business model as well. Um, you look at that, you also have outsiders, you know, that I'm sure we're probably maybe not the same quality of work, but doing it cheaper, making the same kind of vibe that you could get. Hey, you don't want to wait eight months from Orange County? I'll make you one, and then you have other these other companies sprouting out. Then you also have, um, you know, the uh, the economy the, that essentially I think did them in was the uh, the housing market. Yeah.
1: and also and also I will you know, say a yeah, lot of those factors. A, also, just music industry in general. The music industry just has slowly been tanking throughout the years so i mean i think orange county drum got in at the very end when the music industry was there was still an industry there but slowly it was fizzling out and not only that but just drum trends the drum sounds have changed i mean you're now it's all about fat warm snares it's like those 90s cracky snare drums you don't hear that anymore it's literally like it's an old sound yeah. i mean it's like some people still are into it i still like torque snares yeah but it's like thick, sound, thick shells and vintage snares and slamming the rim and torquing them up. It's like you don't really hear it that much. It was kind of a it was kind of a phase in drums. Yeah. It was kind of a trend. So that kind of went away, yeah. and then the music industry changed. All the bands started changing. So I think that also that affected every company. That affected anybody that was involved with the music industry at all. So I think the music in, music in general yeah. changing was a
2: big factor. Yeah. Well, also I think it ties with the uh, the like we had said business wasn't exactly first priority um you know the business model wasn't exactly the best and then like you said you have one guy just trying to do the books and i think everything kind of had just caught up with them and it just i don't think they really had a way out other than the option was to sell the yeah. guitar center
0: well and and it's been mentioned throughout this but most of the guys who worked there though like like michael and jeremy like you guys were all like working touring with other you're working like techs and drummers and you're 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 on the road i mean that that's kind of what makes it so special is like it's four drummers by drummers but then when everyone is like peeling off and going and doing their things i guess it's it's not as focused when people aren't there like you're saying
1: sure well that area at that time orange county at that time it was just the hotbed that's where it was all happening and and there was so many bands we were dealing with so it was just constantly i mean getting constantly hit like hey do you guys have a drum tech we need a drum tech we need a drum tech people just ask they would call up john and be like we need a drum tech so that's how i got i was going to the studio and i just got i was went to the studio with a band shovel and they were like the manager came to me they like what i was doing he was like do you want to go on os with us we need a drum tech okay so it was just right place at the right time and it was just where where the shop was in southern california it was just right there where the industry was happening totally right place right time that's why everybody was getting gigs
0: and you know it was just yeah that was what was up so jared this is more your area of expertise i think why don't you kind of bring it on home here you mentioned um the selling to guitar center and all that stuff what happened with the end portion of the company
2: this one uh it's to me it's a little depressing cuz uh mike and i both agreed that they should still be around today people still are seeking the sound and still seeking these drums. So it's a little upsetting that they they should still be here. But um, basically, uh, I think between the... Um, I'm sure everybody has heard about the Guitar Center drum-off. Of course. Um, typically, I think the finales were hosted over right in like the Hollywood shop, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. in Guitar Center. So you had uh, a lot of guys there, and I believe Adrian and Travis had done you know, before playing Orange County Kits. So I think that's where the relationship kind of started between GC and, um, and Orange County. But, um, fast forward, Orange County had, uh, problems and they were having trouble filling orders. Um, like I said, the business model of, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, I think caught up to them where they just had, you know, shells without parts or things waiting on the shelf. Orange, uh, County was like, Hey, you know, what are we going to do? And I think Guitar Center found it. Hey, we'll bail you guys out. But for us, can you make us a run of snares? So most people will know there's a USA made run of Guitar Center snares in like 2008, 2009. I think maybe even as early as 07 started rolling out, um, vented, you know, and real flashy. And they were the like, was like, oh, you know, we see them in Guitar Center now. And um, from what I've gathered, you know, the research in hand was that Guitar Center paid Orange County uh, a little bailout like, okay, we'll put some money so you can fill your orders and you make us some snares as well. And we have this thing going on. But unfortunately, I think they were so um, in in shambles. And like I said, people were not around anymore. It was only a few guys. And then housing market hits and um, the debt was just too high where the only out was for Guitar Center to make the offer to um, buy Orange County. In the theory, this sounds pretty good. You know, oh, well, you have a big company like Guitar Center now it can take and run and maybe keep Orange County afloat now, but they uh, unfortunately outsourced to an overseas manufacturer just to license the name Orange County, and yeah. the badges changed, the hardware changed, quality is it's not USA-made kit anymore. It's not, you know, a couple guys in a garage making it anymore. It's... yeah. Mass factory and yeah, for me that's uh, 2009, 2010, and then Orange County was just to me done. I mean, technically the brand still
0: exists, but yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not what it was. Well, that's an interesting point because it like the Venice series and all that stuff. I mean, it's like so they're still making drums for Guitar Center with the badge on it, correct? Or is it is it?
2: Yeah, they, they changed the badge from the, the rectangle you see behind Mike's head to now these like, they try to make it look like the shark tooth lugs where it's just the triangle. Are they still point. making yeah. those? But they uh, still yeah. making those right now? Uh, no, so without diving too much in, careful of the legal aspects, um, I believe 2015 the contract for the manufacturer of those drums stopped, so whatever Guitar Center has in stock at their stores or musician friends is what's there i don't think they've made any sense interesting but uh but yeah i mean they're still technically around but you don't see you don't see anything new rolling out like if you look at a guitar center you know mail in pamphlet yeah. or, or the magazines that they have you don't really see like new exclusive to guitar center there's nothing really been rolling out in the last you know few years now when
0: you see a guy like Travis Barker or someone playing with like Machine Gun Kelly like a modern like you know, something's happening like now, and he's playing Orange County. Are those, is he playing old kits, or is a guy like that still getting custom stuff from Daniel, or how does that work?
2: Yeah, a little, a little bit of both. I'm sure he also has drums that none of us have even yeah. seen, but um, he, and I, he has like on Instagram, he does get show, you know, older kits that he does use in studio. And it also depends on, um, so Mike and I, I mean, I did what Mike did as well. I was a tech on the road for a bit and things like that. So we have, what we call backline. Mm-hmm. So wherever city you end up, there's sometimes drums there waiting yeah. for you. So I, I'm sure he's recycled older kits, but he did have some new ones uh, with the, the newer blink lineup. Um, so new ones made. And two uh, from what I was told, um, Daniel built some um, Jeremy, at Q built some, like even um, Adrian young, his no doubt stuff when they like did their one reunion mm-hmm. tour that was made by Jeremy. Uh, so Jeremy, um, if people don't know, uh, he also acquired almost all the uh, tooling from Orange County. Wow. So yeah. Q is as close as you're going to get to uh, yeah, Orange I, County nowadays, yeah, if you ask I, me. I, I would um, say on that
1: one, um, yeah, I, I respect Jeremy a lot because, you know, in my opinion, if there's one person, and I've said this to Jared a lot, if there's one person that should be copying, doing those designs, the stuff that he was doing, it's Jeremy. I mean, if there's one person that should be doing the old style stuff, you know, The thick shells, acrylics, you know, the crazy plaid wraps, all that stuff. But, you know, what's cool is Jeremy didn't do it. He really kind of carved his own path and he did cue. And I I really respect that. He could have very well just kept doing what he was doing in Orange County, but he really did his own thing. So, yeah, I think really, in my opinion, Jeremy is the only one. If there was going to be somebody doing an Orange County drum, you know, he's really the heart and soul of what Orange County drum, the the Orange County drum that people know and love today, all the crazy designs, in my opinion, Jeremy's really, and I shouldn't say just Jeremy, but those guys at that time were really the heart and soul of that whole, what Orange County drum became.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And a lot of
2: other, also to add to that, um, the Q guys, not even just Jeremy, but a lot of the guys like Max and a few other guys that worked in Orange County are are still kind of related and still work together with Q and whatnot. So it is kind of cool that they did, you know yeah. what I mean? Do their own thing, but still kept it Orange County yeah. family, which I but think... Not yeah. co- but not just blatantly but, um, copying
0: Orange County Drum. That's no. what I love about it. I love about it. No, if you didn't say that, you wouldn't know. I mean, really, you'd look right. at it and go, this is a different... And it's I its own whole thing. It's That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. He yeah. could have yeah. just
1: copied it. And there's other people. It's been copied a lot, and I don't respect that. So, I really respect that he yeah. just did his own thing.
2: That's what I mean. I Like, I, um, I, I think... If, um, like, you think of, i um, trying to think of, like, other brands in comparison, like, Leedy had its time and its error and it died. Like, Rogers had its time and obviously yeah. it came back. But uh, you think of that, like, Orange County, its error was that. And I think the, the legacy yeah. is that. You let know it I mean? be. Yeah, exactly. It would be cool to resurrect it. You know what I mean? If it was done right and a lot of things fell into place. But just let it be yeah. what it was, you know? Because I don't think, I don't think. The, the mojo yeah. and the magic can happen lightning, like yeah you know, Lightning is not going to you know, strike like twice. I, told, um, I had said to Michael, it's funny how history repeats itself. A lot of the other listeners might know what I'm referring to uh, in regards to, like, I look at Ludwig, um, you know, especially, like, as a kid. So you have that uh, generation of uh, drummers that saw Ringo, like, yes, Ludwig was around, but started making drums again under his name in the late 50s. Mm -hmm. transition badge and then Ringo hits and it just explodes. And for like 20 years, Lud was the biggest names in drums. And then unfortunately they sold. I look at Orange County, same thing. Like you had had big endorsers and big guys. And then I, as a kid, from my perspective, you see Enemo, the state come out and you see Travis playing these kits. Bam. It happened again, you know, really took off and lasted. Same thing about like 20 year run of just pumping out some of the craziest, coolest, looking and sounding drums. And then, you know, same thing, just sold.
0: The same thing kind of happens to a lot of companies. I mean, a lot of parallels, parallels. even, even with Jeremy getting the tooling, it's kind of like a Fibes to like Darwin to, um, uh, that those brands where it's like, to DW, to DW. It's like, it's like
2: Bernie stone has uh, a stone. or the The radio frequency show. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, um, yeah, so. yeah,
0: quarter. I was going to say fives to, to Darwin to quarter. I don't think that's the right order. But yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a lot of uh, parallels. But I guess we are all, drummers are just kind of like, I don't know. We, we do what we do. We move forward and we're all cut from the same cloth and kind of do the same. <laughs> we make the same mistakes, you know. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's just a special time. And I think this has just been awesome to have you guys on here to kind of like, because Orange County is a little bit uh, the history is I don't want to say it's confusing, but it's a little bit of like it's been cleared up now of like it's just if I had to sum it up, I'd be like it was just drum nerd drum bums in Southern California making drums going on the road, building cool <laughs> kits. There's awesome drummers around town who are playing um, right place, right time. These drummers get big. It's just like it all just worked out. No,
2: I, I agree. I, th- I think also. When you look at um, the other, I think, big companies like 60s and 70s, like, you know, the big four, um, they actually had like catalogs like Orange County. Like, yeah, it had catalogs, but it wasn't, you know, or even like today, you don't have them. They didn't have the Internet like you think there's not an archival thing of, you know, this is how, like, again, back to I have no idea how many drums they made. I don't think <laughs> anybody has a number to that. Um, yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of forth off of that. So, yeah, the history is kind of... Um, it's a lot of oral history and uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but you know uh, we'll piece it together. And maybe if people out there know something or want to add something, they can like comment on the episode on YouTube or whatever, or email in and I can post about mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's really cool to have both of you guys on here. Both Michael, your experience with the company, and Jared, your experience is really kind of a, a fan of this. And Jared, you've been kind of really sticking on me about getting this done, which I appreciate because it's like, sometimes you can't, it's like, yeah, like all the time and energy can't go into one episode because there's gotta be one every week. So it's awesome to have people like you who help me kind of like, no, this is who you need to talk to. All right, that didn't work. Let's try again. And Michael, you were super responsive. So I appreciate that as well. Yeah, it's it's a shame
1: that we couldn't get some of the other guys on because there's really a lot of the story that I can't tell. So, I mean, sure, I consider myself one of the original guys, but it's a shame that we can't, you know, you can't get, couldn't have heard from some of the other guys because there was a lot, there's a lot of other perspectives and a lot of the personalities that were involved.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, going back real quick, you had plenty of guests on, like Rob Cook, where these guys, some of these guys are just diehard fans, of a particular brand. This was a big part of my life as a kid, you know, without, I don't think without Enema of the State, I don't think I would have even decided to pick up a set of drumsticks. Yep. So for me, this was more not just to get, you know, 10 minutes of fame on a piece of computer. Uh, it was more, I just want to preserve the history and the brand that, you know, has meant so much to me all these years and just really let people know, like, Hey, they left their mark and, yeah, this is what they were about. You know, yeah, it wasn't just I was hounding you to get an episode. Oh, out. no, it was,
0: not at all. Anyway, I you're think, not going to get I 10 minutes. You're going to get 15 <laughs> minutes of fame from this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't get that vibe at all. I feel like you you were very honest and you were you were even especially like, no, I don't want to do it by myself. I want to be respectful and get someone from the company. So I think it was really cool um to do yeah. that. So awesome, guys. Well, um, Michael and Jared have been kind enough to stick around for a quick Patreon bonus episode. Um, And what I'm going to ask them about um, once we finish this one up is what their favorite drum set, Orange County drum set of all time was. There's well, we don't know how many there were, but uh, there's a lot of really cool Orange County drum sets out there. So if you want to check that episode out um, with both these guys, which is kind of rare to have two people on the show, I think it's only happened uh, Rogers had two and GMS had two. So, I think it's this is yeah. only the third one. So, you guys are in, uh, you know, you're in special history of, of the podcast. But um, to check that out, go to drumhistorypodcast.com, Patreon link, uh, click that. You can join up two bucks a month, get the uh, bonus episodes. And I really appreciate uh, everyone who does that. But um, do you guys want to plug anything as we wrap up here on the main episode? Um, starting with you, Michael, anything you're working on that you want to kind of tell people where to check you out and all that stuff? Uh, I'm actually
1: starting a custom drum company, Kelly Drums. Yeah. Cool. That's actually, I'm wow. in my, I'm in my workshop right now. Yeah, it's going to be dialed. I'll be up and going probably in, I would say, another two months maybe. I just had rotator cuff surgery, so that was a big setback for me. But I've used the time to really get myself all dialed. So I think probably in another two months I'm going to be doing it. I'm starting out with just snares, but eventually probably start doing some kits. But uh, I'm not going to be copying Warren's County drum. I'll be doing stuff. You know, I mean, you might see some slight similarities, but – it's not going to be a copy. It's not going to be a knockoff by any means. I'm going to be doing stuff that I like. And so,
0: yeah. Cool. Congrats we'll be, be, and good luck. Thank you. You'll be hearing yeah. about it soon. Guaranteed. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. Jared, what about you, my friend?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, most people hit me up on, uh, Facebook. i um, chances are I'm in, uh, hundreds for drums. So it's Jared Fallon on Facebook on, uh, Instagram. Um, I actually started a new Instagram just strictly for drum aspects. And that's, uh, ghost note underscore percussion so that's where people hit me up to do rewraps, restore things you know new hardware and then i also am going to be building some stuff as well
0: yeah and i mean you're, you're the guy i'm sure all of you guys can do it but i mean i know um jared you're passionate about restoring and preserving and just seeing orange county drums which it's just I'm sure everyone at Orange County, the original crew appreciates someone out there keeping the legacy alive like that, um, which is really cool. So uh, and again, you. thanks to Jared for kind of getting everything all set up with this over. I mean, we've been talking for a year about uh, plus about oh, getting easily, this yeah. together. And <laughs> uh, Michael was our missing piece to make this special episode. Happen. Yeah, happen. He just <laughs> hit me up and was like, hey, do you want to
1: do this? And I was like. OK, so,
0: yeah, it's cool. Yeah, we should have done that. It probably should have done that a year and a half ago. But uh, I think as we wrap up, though, we should say uh, we hope Jeremy feels better yeah, uh, from Q. He's going through some serious stuff. Um, there's a GoFundMe that I think the Drum Click Network, uh, we're putting things together for a raffle with, sh- with some really cool stuff. Uh, there's I don't want to talk too much about it now, though, because there's going to be like a separate ad that you'll hear either at the beginning of this. That has all the details, so I don't want to say something wrong, but there's going to be a raffle and help raise money for that. But his GoFundMe page, I'll put in the description of this, um, so check that out. But on that note, Michael, Jared, thank you guys for joining me on this and making it a really cool, you know, double guest super episode that we've been trying to get along uh, set up for a long time. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Bart.